It's going to be a great day, folks. It already has been. Amen? I'm so grateful for what God has done here at Vertical over these last years. My goodness, I can't imagine what's ahead. Brand new series today called Alive. You know, the Bible says that we are a people of resurrection, that we are a people with a message of resurrection. We are the ones who believe what the scriptures say, that God can bring beauty from ashes where there has been burned ash when there seems to be no hope, God can restore, redeem, and make new and bring beauty. Amen? Where there has been mourning, sorrow, God will give the oil of joy. He is the one with the good news, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. He has given us Jesus as the ultimate picture of resurrection and defeat over all the things that this world has against us. Over all things that Satan himself has against us, there is one who has defeated them all. We have the message of resurrection. Throughout the scripture, there are physical pictures of people who were resurrected. Jesus is not the only one. In this series, Alive, we're going to look at nine different resurrection stories in the scripture. We're going to see in these physical pictures of resurrection Only something bigger that God wants to do in our hearts. The outward, the physical resurrection is just a picture of resurrection he longs to do here. Amen. And he can bring it about no matter where you have walked. No matter what has been burned. No matter where you are mourning today, he can give joy and he can give resurrection. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's true. This is what we believe today. In Jesus Christ. Our story today begins with a man named Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah is a prophet for God who speaks for him, and Elijah is about to be given a mission to go to a very specific place to meet a very specific woman. God puts together a man with a message with a woman who's in need of the message. He brings a message of hope to a person who is hopeless. Turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, that's where we begin today. Verse 8 is where our story begins. We see two parts to this story. You can follow me on screen. You can follow me in your Bible. You can follow me in the Bible app, whatever you have. Follow me this morning, 1 Kings 17, verse 8. We're going to meet a woman who's living in a dark place. Now, I don't mean physical darkness, I'm talking about a place of darkness in her heart. Have you ever been in a place like that? Have you ever been in a place where it just seems like tomorrow has no answer to it? Tomorrow has no hope in it? The problems of the moment seem bigger than any other answer. The pain seems greater than any amount of peace. The confusion is bigger than any confidence you once had. The poverty is bigger than any provision that you can see, and the fear is bigger than your future. I hope you know that our messages here at Vertical are designed to hit each of us right where we live. This is not just religious talk. This is truth from the scriptures in the power of the Spirit aimed at every one of our lives where we live. Amen? So... At this point, we engage with the Spirit of God. At this point, we come alive with the Spirit who is speaking to us through his word, and we see this woman here in verse 8. 
She's in a dark place, and God's going to send her hope. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Elijah, I've got a place I want you to go, and I want you to go there and stay. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. God says to Elijah, I have a place for you to go, very specific, and I have a way that I'm going to provide for you. You are going to speak my message, and I'm going to provide through you or to you through an unlikely source, a widow. A widow. She has lost her husband. She's living without provider. She's living without companion. She's living without the one that her hopes and dreams rested in. She's a widow. Verse 10 says, so he arose and he went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He finds the woman. God is faithful. He provides when he makes a promise. And Elijah obeys. The story goes on in verse 10 and 11. It says, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Elijah, at this point, as far as we know, doesn't know anything else about her life. He only knows God told him to go. God would provide through a widow. And there she was. So he speaks what God has told him to speak. Not knowing all of the background information. Only that this is a widow. He doesn't know necessarily her financial situation. He doesn't know all of her resources unless God has whispered some of that to him. But it goes on in verse 12, and we find out more about this woman, for she now speaks. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Whoa. Elijah just got the backstory. She became honest, vulnerable. It's interesting to me that she starts off and says, as the Lord your God lives. She doesn't say the Lord our God, the Lord my God, the Lord your God. We get a clue right away that this woman does not have faith in our God. She's living in a dark place, I told you. She's not only without much in the way of resources, she has no hope, for she does not know God. 
She's a woman who's apparently very poor. She doesn't have any bread. She has a little flour, and she has a little oil. That's not much. I mean, use it at our house. You know, me and the kids will say, man, we just don't have any groceries in the house right now. And Heather says, go look in the pantry. And you open it, and of course, you know, there's all kind of stuff. There's those cans of tomato paste you never know what to do with. There's cans of tomato sauce, all those tortillas. And Heather says, you could make something you know. She's right. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we say, anybody want to go to Taco Bell? No. But Heather always tries to get us to just eat what's in the house. Right, babe? Yes, with very sweet and kind voice. She does. This woman is truly very poor. I mean, if you just have a handful of flour and a little oil, you don't have much. And she, she doesn't have any hope because it says she's gathering a couple of sticks. I don't know about you, but when I go, when I go out in my backyard to get some wood to make a fire in the fireplace, I don't just get a couple of sticks. you got to get a lot of sticks and a lot of logs, and you bring it inside and you make a fire. She is so convinced that this is the end that she's just gathering a couple of sticks. She's just gathering enough for what's going to be this next meal. She plans to eat it with her son, and then the plan is to just die. Apparently, it's been going on for a while, the famine in the land. If you read the backstory to this story, you find that that's what's happened. There's been a famine for a while. And it has been so serious that they haven't eaten. They don't have any food. One meal. Not a big meal. And she's finished. She is living in the valley of the shadow of death. No hope. No life. No joy. Only death is what's ahead. Elijah speaks in verse 13. It says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Elijah challenges her to do something that does not make logical sense. Go ahead. Go back. Oh, but before you go, I have some important words for you. Do not fear. Don't be afraid of your circumstances. Don't let what is happening right here and right now determine how you see the future. Don't let fear rob you in this moment. Go and make the food just like you said you were going to, but I've got one other thing I want to ask you to do. Take that food and bring it to me first. Make it for me First, now you might think, man, what a selfish dude, right? And some of you say, what a typical man, (laughs) right? Ladies, I, I, I had to say it. That's right. I knew you were thinking it. He says, make some for me first and then go make some for yourself. Wow. You might think he was selfish, but Elijah knows a powerful truth. And Elijah 
is trying to help this woman, for she's stuck without hope. She has no concept of God in her life, at least not a good one. And he says to her, I'm going to help you. Go make the food. Bring it to me first. God is trying to help her see something powerful about what it means to serve him. Let's go on before we unfold that. Verse 14, it says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day of the Lord, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. God's going to do something here, ma'am. And he's making a promise. If you will put him first, he will provide everything that you need. In fact, you are going to be a thermometer, an indicator of when God will provide for all of his people. When God is going to bring revival to the land, you are going to be the indicator. So, ma'am, in your difficulty, in your poverty, in your pain, put the Lord first. Here's our first big truth for this morning. At the edge of your limitation, God calls you to trust him first. So for this woman, her limitation was her resources. She had nothing else left. And God says, I want you to trust me there, right on the edge of what you think is your life, where it seems hopeless to you, where it seems impossible to you, right there on the edge. Do you know God calls us into places that are on the edge sometimes? A lot, in fact. You're rocking through life, and all of a sudden, you come up against some limitation. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's something related to your job. Maybe it's something really close to your heart. And it just seems like there's an absolute limitation. You can't go any further. You don't have the answers, and you don't see anything else that can bring hope to the situation. Can you relate? Everybody's got one of those. You've got limitation points in your life. You've got places that are the edge. You've come up to it, and you don't know what else to do. You've tried. You've tried in your strength to make it happen. You've tried with everything within you to make it happen. It has, it has consumed your thoughts. You rack your brain looking for answers, and you can't find it, and you're at your limitation. And God says, good. Now, at your limitation, at that thing that you can't get past, at that thing that you don't know the answer to. Now, trust me first. You're struggling financially. You can't figure out what to do next. You're at your limit. You're at the boundary. You don't know what to do. God says, good. Now, trust me first in this. Put me first in your finances. Give to me. You're at that boundary in, your, in that relationship you've got. You've tried and you can't work it out and it just doesn't seem to be ever going to make any progress. It seems dead to you. And God says, okay, you've come to the edge. You're at your limit. Good. Now, trust me. Put me first. 
Stop doing what you've been doing. Stop doing what you think is the right thing to do. Stop putting my way last. Put me first. Trust me first. Forgive when I say forgive, even though it doesn't make logical sense to you. Show grace when I say to show grace, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Put me first. That's the only time life comes. That's when he's first. You see, it's out on the edge that you're, you're tempted just to rely on yourself. It's out on the edge that, that really things happen. When you get out to the edge and you're at the, the boundary of your belief, what you do next will set you on a course for your future. And God says to this woman, you've come up against a boundary. You've come up against your limitation. Trust me. Put me first, not last. Don't give me some. Give me all and give me first. It's interesting that this is really just the first part of the story. This is God setting us up for the bigger part of the story. And God does provide for her, and the oil doesn't run dry, and the flour doesn't run out. But let's move on to the second part of the story. This is just getting us ready for the greatest part. In verse 17, we find this woman set free from the darkness. So she has moved into this place now where it's like, whoa, this is incredible. God has provided for us. We only had a handful of oil, a, li- a handful of flour, a little bit of oil, and now it doesn't run dry. Every time I go back, there's more oil. There's more flour. And now there's this guy who's in our house, and he stays upstairs in a room, and, and I'm not alone anymore. And actually, he... He helps a lot with my son. He helps around the house. And he speaks such words of wisdom. God is speaking through him. And she's kind of in awe in this moment. And things are progressing along seemingly pretty well. But God's not finished. You see, God is about a whole lot more than just the outward. God is about a whole lot more than just giving some more flour and oil. God is about a whole lot more than just paying off your bills that you've got. God is about a whole lot more than just getting you that promotion that you wish you could get. Those are all externals. God is about something much bigger. Now, he'll use those externals, but he's headed for the internal. All right? So watch what happens in the story next. Verse 17. Now, it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. She'd already lost her husband. She was already living alone. What she longed for in a man was gone. What she hoped and had dreams of for the future had ended because her husband had died. Limited income. God steps in, provides miraculously, and now... After trusting him, after putting him first, now her son dies. What is happening? God, I 
gave you my heart in this moment. I trusted you. I put you first. And now you take my son. Have you ever wondered, God, where are you? I thought I did what you told me to do. I thought I was going down the path you wanted. And now this has happened. This is where she is. And we're about to hear her heart. We're about to see what's buried beneath the surface. She's about to unfold what has really been going on this whole time in her heart. Her son has died and pain has a way of bringing things to the surface that have been buried. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Is this why you've come? God, is this what you're doing? You sent this guy here. You set me up. And now you're really all about trying to make me pay. That's what it is, isn't it, God? You have remembered everything I've done wrong. And now you're going to make me suffer for it. Is that what's happening here? And now you get to see the reality of what's going on in her heart. She opens it up. You know, down below every person's words and their outward external actions, as confusing as they might be, is a reason. It's usually a hurt. It's usually a failure. It's a place where they haven't reconciled the moment with God. How could this happen? God, are you all about just making me suffer? And if you haven't worked through some of that, if you haven't come to some reconciliation in your mind, if you haven't come to a place of understanding and faith with that, you will wrestle at points in your life when something happens to you and you'll say, God, why does this happen to me? Are you just out to get me? Or you just want to make my life miserable, and as a result, you'll close yourself off and you'll keep your heart to yourself and not open it up to all that God has for you. And that's where this woman is. She's living, remembering her sin. We don't know what it was, we don't know what she had done, but she does. She remembers it. And her view of God is that he remembers it and he's going to make her pay for every last one of them. And the way he is making her suffer is by taking away her son. She doesn't see that God is good. She sees that God is angry. She doesn't see that God loves her. She sees that God is out to get her. She doesn't see the mercy of God. She only sees the justice of God, and therefore she's not interested in it. This woman, though she is physically alive, she is spiritually dead. Death 
is inside. No hope, no joy, no peace. She is alive, but she's dead. Our next big truth for this morning is this. God will agitate our comfort in order to activate our faith. God is so passionate for you and I to know life here that sometimes he'll, he'll agitate life out here. The stuff that you have put your hopes and, and expectations in, the vehicles and the house and the job and the money and all that kind of stuff, those kind of things that you've found some comfort in, and he knows that you're really not at peace there, you're not at joy there, you haven't arrived at a real life there, you have all the stuff you look like you're living but you're really dead inside, sometimes God will come along and stir up the waters. Sometimes God will unsettle what's going on in your life. Sometimes he will, he'll agitate some things because he's not, he's not interested in you just accumulating some things. He's about what's in here. And sometimes he'll even remove things to get you alive here. He'll agitate the waters to activate your faith so that you'll come to a place where you truly are at the edge and you step out and you trust and you put him first. God will do that, not because he's mean, but because he is good. He doesn't want us to live in fear of condemnation. He doesn't want you to live Walking about your day wondering if what just happened to you is an indicator that God is trying to get you. He doesn't want you to live in the fear that you can't trust God because the minute you do, he's going to make your life miserable. You see, at that point, you've been deceived. You've been duped by the enemy. You've decided to live for yourself because you can't trust him. And the enemy celebrates. But God is passionate to set his people free. And he'll do all he can to help you get to that place where you stand confident in your faith, where you stand certain about eternal life, where you don't ask the question anymore, am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Have I been made right with God? Are my sins forgiven? Has he truly forgiven me? Those must be settled. And God says, you've got to come to this place to be free. If you're still walking around, even struggling with whether or not you've been born again, it's time to deal with the matter. God may be unsettling your life right now. He might be agitating the waters a little bit so that you can get to the place and say, now I know I trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. That's where he wants you. He don't want you trusting yourself, trusting your good deeds, trusting him alone. He wants you certain about eternal life. He wants you certain about his presence. He wants you certain that he hears you when you pray. Ooh, our church has been going through a study on Sunday nights in the homes of our people called the Circle Maker. And those of you that have been a part of that, you know what God has been doing in your heart and in your lives. He's building up a confidence, a place of hope, a place of certainty. God not only hears me, but he is at work. I'm trusting him in that. I'm going to keep on praying. I stopped praying a long time ago, but I'm going to start back up because I'm not going to be stopped. I'm going to trust in the one who can answer and does answer my prayers. God wants us to live with that kind of confidence. Back to the story. This woman's little boy 
has died. There's no breath left in him. Can you imagine, moms, the heartache of your child breathing his last in your arms? I can't imagine that. I've been at the hospital when a saint has taken their last breath. It's painful to watch. It's a glorious celebration, but there's also a sense of mourning. But I can't imagine what it's like to hold a small child. We don't know how old this little boy was, but the impression is that he was young. And she was young. And he has breathed his last. And she's filled with all kinds of emotion, sorrow, maybe even some guilt. Did I cause this? I should have... I should have stayed out longer. I should have gotten more food. She's probably replaying all of her sins and she's filled with all this guilt and remorse. And God has sent Elijah to her for this moment. It says in verse 19 that he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms. Let me um, illustrate this today. Let me have Alexa come up here for just a moment. Alexa, if you'll stand uh, right here and face that way. Let me have Kyle Rogers come up. Kyle, if you'll stand here on this side and face Alexa. Alexa is going to be the widow from Zarephath. The one who is filled with remorse, sorrow. I don't mean to be gruesome this morning. This is not a real baby. <laughs> but I'm going to give this to Alexa to hold in her arms. As though it were. Men, you might say, I'm not sure I can relate to this. But let me tell every one of us something. You may not have ever had a child die in your arms, but every one of us have had a hope, a longing, a dream. You've had something that, that you connected yourself to, that you were emotionally, spiritually involved in. It came from you. It was your hope. It was your future. It was your longing. I don't know what it is for you. It might be that job. It might be a marriage. It might be a spouse. It might be some other situation. But you've had something in your life that you held dearly. It was part of you. And one day, whatever that thing was, it breathed its last and sorrow just gripped your heart. For this widow, we already know she's filled with a little bit of anger at Elijah. We already know she's filled with a little bit of anger toward God. Is this what you've come for? To try to remind me of my sin and make me pay? And her son is lifeless in her arms. 
And Elijah, moved by the Spirit of God, asks her to do something. Elijah says, give me your son. Can you imagine? You're holding your hopes, your dream, your future in your arms. And the man from God says, give him to me. The one that you thought had come here to condemn you. The one that you thought is the one who actually caused the problem. And he says now to you, give him to me. Let go from your arms what hurts you so deeply right now. Let go from your arms what is your limitation. You trusted me with some flour and some oil. Now I'm going to ask you to trust me with something else because I'm after your heart. I can't imagine what it would have taken for this widow to step forward and to hand to Elijah her son the one who had died she didn't know what was going to happen next she hadn't read the scriptures they hadn't been written yet at least this part she didn't know what was the next part of the story She had to release completely and let go of what had died in her life. Elijah serves as a powerful picture of Jesus in this story. Who meets us in our place of despair and pain and sorrow and death. And says to you and me, give me what has died. Thank you all very much. Have a seat. I'll take that. What a beautiful part of the story. So touching and tender. The story goes on in verse 19, the second part, and it says... And he carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him on his own bed. Elijah walks away from the mother with the child. And he goes upstairs. He goes up. He goes to his room. He goes to the place where he stays, the Bible says, to his own bed. Verse 20, then he carried out, I'm sorry, he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Is that what you've done here, God? Is that what this is all about? Verse 21, it says that Elijah stretched himself out on the child three times and cried to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. How many times did he pray? Three. 
He didn't pray the first time and see nothing happen and say, well, I guess that's not going to work. He prayed again because he knew his God heard him. Did he stop after the second time when still nothing had happened? No. He kept on praying because he knew his God heard him. And his God was the God of resurrection. The third time Elijah prayed. And all this time, it's fascinating to me, it says that he stretched himself out on the child. According to the law in the Old Testament, if you touched something that was dead, you were defiled. You were not to touch anything dead. And here is Elijah. He puts himself out on the child. Elijah is willing to let death touch him. Elijah is willing to be covering this death Elijah is willing to be hand-to-hand, face-to-face, chest-to-chest with death. He's willing to take on this child's death so that he might impart life to him. Do you see what's happening here? It's not just a picture of Jesus doing this. It's a picture of Jesus doing this. Jesus is touching this child, and he's bringing what was death in him out, and he's putting life in. Elijah is taking death into himself by touching him, by putting himself there, and he bears this boy's death, and he breathes life. Jesus placed himself in the place of death. The Bible says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He put himself in our place of death that we might know his place of life. Amen? He's crying out to the Lord. Verse 22. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. He came back to life. What was dead was now alive. What had no breath in it now had breath in it. Where there was no light in his eyes, all of a sudden is infused with life, and he is breathing again. He is revived. Amen? Amen? Come on now. Let's don't let the age of this text and the number of times you've heard this story numb you to the truth of what's happening here. Hello? This is powerful. You don't just see people made alive every day. (laughs) Death doesn't come and then after a while it comes, life comes to them. It just doesn't happen that way. Death brings death. That's the it. That's there's no one else. This, This is the end. But God is doing something powerful here for this woman speaking to her and he's going to resurrect this boy and he does verse 23 and elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother and elijah said see your son lives he came back down the same stairs that he went up carrying the boy But this time he presents him back to this mother, and he is alive. Life comes to what we surrender into the hands of Jesus. 
most difficult part of the story had to be letting go. Taking your hands off and putting it into the hands of the man of God. And giving up your will. Giving up any more of your effort. I can do no more. I stop trying. I surrender it to you, O man of God. Jesus wants to resurrect areas in our life today that are dead. The area that you think, I don't think this could ever live again. I don't think this thing could ever know life again. I don't think this part of my life could ever breathe again. There's been too much hurt, too much pain, too much suffering, and it by all apparent perspective is dead. No breath, no life, no movement, no hope. And God says... Don't count me out. Instead, put me first. And when you'll surrender it into the hands of Jesus, he'll bring it to life. He has the power to. And he'll put it back into your hands in a way you could have never, ever dreamed. Now you might think, that is amazing. A boy who was dead brought back to life. But that is not the most amazing part of the story. The most amazing part of the story is what happens in verse 24, the last verse we look at today. It says, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, now, by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And it is the truth. You see, we started in this story with her thinking that God had come to curse her and judge her. We end with the story with her heart alive where she says, wait a minute, I get it. Now I know. This resurrection is unbelievable. The resurrection here is even more glorious because God has awakened my heart and I believe that his word is true. She came alive all of a sudden. Remember what we started with? God performs physical resurrections that we might have spiritual resurrections in our heart. And she discovered what the man of God could do for her. You know, I I talk to uh, believers from time to time, and I've walked in this spot in my life, and I can get back to it if I'm not careful. This place where I keep remembering my sin. I'm not talking about just this past week's sin, but the sin from a week ago, two weeks ago, three years ago, four years ago, 20 years ago. Have you ever replayed the loop, replayed the tape of your sins from the past? Yeah? You can nod your head because everybody else is. Have you ever replayed your sins and thought, oh, and thought to yourself, I bet that's why I still struggle today. I bet, that what, I bet that's what God is doing today. I bet he's trying to make me pay. I bet he's trying to get me back. I bet he's trying to do this. And this is after you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're still replaying the tapes. Wow, almost choked. You're still replaying something older than your old VHS tapes. You're still replaying them. You're still replaying that sin like it just happened and you're still thinking God's going to get you for it. If that's where you're living, I would, I would suggest to you today that you're living dead. That there's parts in your life that you're living dead. 
You're still holding on to the hurts and the fears and the pains and all that stuff that you did. And there's a truth that is in Jesus Christ that tells us this in the book of Hebrews, that for all those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, that there's a new covenant that's made. The book of Hebrews says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'm going to put my law into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Verse 17 says this, and then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. None. They're not there. Why are you replaying them? They're gone. Get rid of the tapes. Get rid of them. Put those memories aside. Unless you haven't come to Jesus Christ. If you haven't, now's the time. You got to give him what's dead before you can have what's life. For every one of us today, there's parts in our lives that he's saying to you today, I wish you'd give that to me. I wish you'd just hand it to me. Stop holding on to it, stop keeping it for yourself. Stop thinking you can make it happen on your own. Stop thinking you're going to figure it all out. Stop thinking you don't need me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're not going to find an answer other than me. I am the one who brings life. So I don't know what it is for you today. I usually list off some things here at this point in the message, and I'll say, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. I'm not going to do that today. I'm confident the Holy Spirit is speaking today right here in this room. I'm confident that he is able to tell you the area in your life that he's saying to you, would you give that to me? Would you let me have that? You've held it long enough. It's dead. Let me have it. It had to be the most difficult part of the story but it's where life begins. Would you stand with me? Would you pray today? I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us here today. I know he has a purpose and he has something he's wanting to do in our lives. I know there are areas in your life today where he's challenging you to let go of what you've been holding on to. You've tried to keep it. You've tried to resuscitate it. You've tried to do it in your own strength and it isn't happening. And it's time for you to hand it over to him. In just a moment, when I pray, our our counselors are going to come forward here today. They're going to be standing right here across the front. And I would suggest to you that there's power in saying what you're surrendering. There's power in saying that to somebody. There was power for this widow when she said, now I believe If you want to see God work in a powerful way in your life, there's going to be power in you saying that. So our counselors will be here. I would encourage you to come say to them, today, I am handing to the Lord my what? You just let it be known. You verbalize it to them as a way of verbalizing it to the Lord. Now, it might be today that you have wrestled with your salvation. You have wrestled with the very core of what it means to even be a believer. 
And maybe like this woman, you thought God has been out to get you this whole time. You didn't know that when he died on the cross, you put your faith in him, that he took those sins upon himself. He took death upon himself and arrested that death. Remove that death and remembers your sin no more. I'd ask you to come today so that you can find that confidence, that place, and say, I need to have confidence in my salvation. You let one of these counselors know that, they'll walk you through the process. Amen. Let's pray. Counselors, you come. Be ready. When I finish praying, don't wait. Respond to what God is calling you to say and do today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here with us in this place today.